Uno, dua, tre. Can you hear me? Yes, it is here. Um, praise be to God. Um, all of you who are here visiting us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. We'd love to hug you later. We have some cake right outside and coffee, so we'll hang out with you before our second service starts. Uh, and then welcome back to those who have been traveling and those of you still traveling and watching our service online. We love you. We can't wait to see you here in person. We're starting a new sermon series this Sunday, um, and the title of the sermon series is called It Makes No Sense. And we're going to particularly talk about this idea when the church is at worst, when a church of Christ is at its worst. And it's not good for the church of Christ to be worse, right? The intention of God for the church of Christ is to be a blessing to his people. But let me start with this statement. I love the church. By the way, I was born and raised in the church. My parents took me when I was a very, very little guy. Uh, the church that I, I grew up in is a Lutheran church in Eastern Africa, a country called Eritrea. If you're not familiar with it, um, don't worry about it. You probably have to go home and Google it. It's a pretty small country. Um, I grew up in the church, and my parents took me. I went to Sunday school. I had a, a three-year confirmation class. I, scrolled, like, you know, I, I, I was the kid that was running around in the middle of the service. I... Love the church. The church, a lot of my good memories about life in general is built in the church. The church is what actually gave me the, the, the memories that I have deep in my heart, the things that I cherish the most in my life. I learned it in the church. I love the church. I love the gathering of the saints, right? When people of God are gathered to celebrate his name, I just, y'all, I cannot tell you how much I love the church. The church is what made me the man that I am today. And the church is why I became the pastor that I am today. So I'm going to talk about the struggle of the church, but don't misunderstand me. I love the church. And all of you here, one way or another, you did encounter the church, the body of Christ. You probably grew up in the church, and you probably have a really good experience in the church. So the church is beautiful. And mind you, the church is not only us here, but it's around the world in all languages and all cultures and tribes. The church is in tents and in mega buildings. The church is happening in stadiums. The church is happening in schools and elementary schools and high schools. The church is everywhere. But sometimes the church just doesn't make sense. Though it's such a great place, the church sometimes, it's not the same for other people. Not all of us have the same experience when it comes to church. For some of us, the local church was the place where we get hurt, where our hearts were broken. For some of us, the church was the one that actually rejected us. For some of us, we saw corruption in the church and we hated the church. For some of us, our hearts were broken and gave up in church. A lot of people that I went to high school with, I ended up being, you know, I got married early and I got into ministry, so I got disconnected and we just kind of keep connecting recently online or Instagram or whatever, you know. People be like, oh man, I miss us going to church, you know, back in the days when we were in high school. I'm like, yeah, good old days. I'm like, hey, what church are you going to now? Oh, bro, I don't go to church. And don't get me wrong, I still believe in Jesus and I love God, but I don't go to church. I'm done with the local church. I've been hurt by the church. Mind you, I, do, I disagree, absolutely disagree with what they're doing. They should be in the church. They should be part of God's body. That's how God commanded it. But I also understand, man, the church can be really challenging at times for people to find hope and a place and people for, not, for people not to get hurt. Um, the local church sometimes, it, states, it stands on its own 
direction. The church sometimes is a, a stumbling block of her own mission. Imagine, the very mission that we have is to reach people, and the very thing we do is push people, <laughs> right? It's not like, it doesn't make sense, right? The ultimate idea of the church is to reach people, and at times, we just push people away. So in the next few Sundays, we are going to look into the church's worst examples. And we're going to look into when the church is on its worst. And what we're going to do is this, three things. We're going to recognize sometimes church is really terrible. We're going to repent for the failure of the church because the church is not, a, it's not just a thing. It's us, starting from me and all of us here. And then we're going to learn from it. That's what we do. We look into a church and it, church at its worst, and we recognize it, we repent it, and we learn from it. So today, I don't represent the church with the capital C, right? I'm not, I'm not the pope of the church. Um, but just as a pastor who happens to be preaching from this pulpit today, if you've ever been hurt by the church, man, I'm so sorry. Your hurt is my hurt. Your hurt is our hurt. When you hurt, we all hurt. And I pray that I, I pray to God that the moment I, became, I become a stumbling block to others, oh man, I, I, the Lord, I, I want the Lord to slap me. I know we live in America, so we don't really slap each other, but growing up, that's how my parents raised us, right? So I just slap you, and then all of a sudden, the Spirit just comes to you. And you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about it. But today in particular, we're going to talk about when the church is, the local church, when the church is cold and unwelcoming to the outsiders. That's what we're going to address. And then we're going to talk about other topics this coming week. So the big idea is the church could be at, at, at its worst, and we're going to recognize it, repent of it, and learn from it. So every church has a particular culture. Uh, it means, like culture means a unique way of doing things. That's just what culture is. And not only every church has that, but every organization has it. Your school has it, your business has it, your family have it. Every group of people have, they develop their own culture. And culture is a made up of a bunch of different influences. It could be family, it could be the city, the language, and the culture, or the denomination the church is part of. And in that, we have a culture of how we sing, how we dress, how we talk to each other, and how we work, and how we get out, and how, what kind of coffee we drink. Thanks to Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh just joined us this year for the first time. We had the worst coffee in our church for a very long time. We've always drunk Folger coffee. And 11 years ago, I tried our coffee. I was like, that's not something I can drink. I cannot manage Folger. Uh, Pastor Josh came. He brought this unbelievable coffee. So I don't care whether you drink coffee or not. Today, please try this coffee right outside. It's awesome coffee. Um, but that was the culture of our church. Do you know what? As a pastor, I freaked out when we changed our coffee from Folger to a real coffee because that's just how we did things. Even though I don't like it, I like to keep the Folger because it makes me feel like the church is doing the same thing that it did in the past. All church does it. I've talked to some other people and friends. There was a church a guy used to go to. The church, every Sunday, when they finish service, they hold hands. 
Like they hold hands and they do a little, little move like left to right and then the blessing is happening. Everybody hated it because it's so weird to hold hands with people you don't know. Like do you go on top or bottom? Do you hold it tight or loose? People are sweaty and some are not, right? But guess what? When the church was asked to see if they can vote that thing down, everybody voted yes. Because they're like, as much as they hated it, that's just the way they did things. So they don't want to change it. That's, that's, that's who we are. As human beings, we are a people of habit, right? We get used to certain things. As much as we hate it, we still do it. The church is the same. In the book of Luke, um, chapter 1, verse 12, and then it jumps. It, it kind of it tells us who wrote this book. But we go all the way in the book of Acts, chapter 1. All of a sudden, you also see the church's behavior. Even the apostles, when they were following Jesus, they had their own culture. The apostles came from a region called Galilee. Right? And then they had a Jewish background, right? And then they met Jesus individually and also as a group, right? So they have the same exact upbringing, so they really had their own culture. They have a way of doing their own thing. So when I'm saying this, we're not, we're not putting this on us today. From the beginning of the church, because the church is a church of broken and sinful people, the church has its own culture, and the culture is not perfect. But then you also see in the book of Acts, there was 120 people, right, in the, in the first beginning of the church. And those 120 people, they have this, a lot of things in common, and I'm very sure if somebody would walk in from America all the way to Galilee and tell this 120 people they should use a piano and a drum and Sufo going to jump on the drum, they would freak out. They'd be like, what are you doing? That's not how things are. So I just want to point us out to... We're not trying to, like, just trying to, we're not, we're not, like, badgering the church. The church is just a combination of human beings like me and you, sinners. And at times, we have a culture that we don't like, we don't like to let go. Think about the church you grew up in. Some of you probably grew up in this church here, a Good Shepherd. Some of you grew up in a church that is your parents' church. It probably spoke different language than English. Some of you probably grew up in a church that was highly, highly liturgical. And some of you are probably in a church that you feel like, whoa, these people are totally chill. And some of you probably grew up in a church where everybody dressed up. And some of you probably grew up in a church that no one really dressed up. The church I grew up in, the women sat on the left and the men sat on the right. That's just how the church was. And it was like about a thousand or two people attending on Sunday for one worship service. All the men dressed in suit this side. All the women dressing like white traditional dress on this side, right? But there was just, just one lady that loved her husband. They always hold hands, never separated. That lady, she's like, yep, I'm breaking all this. I'm sitting right next to the men. Society. And then it was so weird, even for me as a kid, I was like, whoa, what is she doing there, you know? That's just a culture of the church we all grow up in. So, but, certain things are funny, but certain things are very, very dangerous. Here's when it gets dangerous. When the church thinks its culture is essential to its existence. When a church thinks the culture of the church is crucial to its existence, that's when the danger happens. What, when then what happens is the church stands on its own way of reaching the very people it's called to reach. And Christians have our own way of doing things, and all of a sudden when new people shows up, just our whole entire thing gets shaken up. 
And then we have a tendency of saying, if they don't like the way we do things, they can go elsewhere. Just think how dangerous this is. If any organization does it, it would not be as bad. But if the church does it, think about it. The very purpose of the church is the almighty God, through the work of Christ, wants to save people from eternal damnation. And here we sit in our pews telling people if they don't like the way we do things, they can get out. This is directly contradicting to the very mission of our Lord, endangering the mission of God and actually putting the people of God in a wrong place and pushing away others that God can love and care and give hope and restoration. Um, and this didn't start with us, by the way. Remember the church I told you, the first church in the first century, 120 people? When the church was kind of growing together, uh, then there was, there was some kind of conflict started in the church. And then this conflict, he's, he was, he was, here's the, 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 the issue. Uh, the, the people who are inside the church, they start saying, yeah, by the way, you don't only need to believe in our Christ, you also have to abide by our own cultures, right? All of a sudden, the church just came, came up with this random, stupid philosophy. Isn't it crazy? That's what we do as human beings. We're like, you want to believe in Christ? Absolutely okay. However, you got to do the way we do things first. Otherwise, you're not one of us. So because of this, hey, I want to encourage you, if you have your phones with you, would you like to open to Romans chapter 3, or you have Bibles in your pews, you have the printed version of it? Use it. Totally spontaneous about this. Um, hey, check this, check this verse out. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, I'm, gonna, I'm using the ESV version, which is, that's the Bibles that you have in your pews today, but you can open it in your phone as well. You can just Google it, and then you'll see it. Listen to this reading carefully. But now, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation of by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hey, I'm going to take about maybe three minutes to just break this down. I know if you read it, just pass it. It's kinda, but it's been a really important, big deal for me in my heart. Here's what it's saying. I'm just going to break it in four categories. One, there is, righteous, there's no right, there is righteousness apart from the law. Here's what he's saying. Your culture, your laws, your action, your hairstyle... Your clothes, the way you speak, your accent, your background, your color has nothing to do with your salvation. Can, can I hear amen on this? Imagine if we were judged by all that, right? 
So he's saying, apart from the law, there is righteousness. You cannot fulfill the law, but God has given you righteousness. And second, he says, the prophets bear witness to this. He says, God has been saying this for years. He's been opening the door for people to believe in the work of his son, Jesus Christ, so they can be saved because no one can be saved on his or her own merits. By you doing your own way of righteousness, you cannot be saved. Third, all who believe will be saved. So all of a sudden he says, now all who believed will be saved. Those who believe in the death and resurrection of Christ will be saved. No problem. There's nothing else added to this. Fourth, there's no distinction. They all fall. So what he's saying is, regardless how I carry myself and make you feel like you are lower than me, I am a fallen creature too. We are all sinners. We all are in the same place, in the need of God's mercy and righteousness. So there's no righteous here that can point a finger to another, saying, well, yes, we're technically Christians, but I'm the better version. I'm like the iPhone 13 of Christianity. You're more like the iPhone 6, you know? You do that your thing, but the pictures are terrible. Like, you're a little bit blurred. <laughs> that's, that's what we say to each other, but the scripture is breaking it down saying, there's no such thing. So if all this is true, the way we do things has nothing to do with being right with God. And no culture should get in a way of other people experiencing God's grace and mercy. Hey, we as a church here, we also done our share of mistakes. I'm sure we pushed people away. I'm sure we stand in our own way of God's mission and the church's mission. And if you're part of another church, I'm sure your church was part of that too. And we're going to repent of that. We're going to say, Lord, have mercy on us. For people did not come back to your church because of us. Because we desire to keep our culture over their lives. But I want to point you to this particular story. And I'm not going to read it to save time today. In the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 8, the scripture actually tells us this. There was so many men and women from around the world, they were in Jerusalem on this particular festival. And the Holy Spirit was poured over the disciples, which the church calls it the Pentecost. On the Sunday of the Pentecost, 50 days after our Lord's resurrection, the apostles start speaking in different languages. As they were speaking in different languages, all people from around the world were there and they were listening the gospel in their own language. Do you know what my language is called, by the way, for those of you who don't know? The language I speak, my first language is called Tigrinya. I bet half of you never heard of it before. But at that place, I'm sure somebody heard the gospel in that weird language. So that was a miracle. But I want to I emphasize this thing. Listen to it carefully. 
the Holy Spirit came and called people to speak different languages so other people can hear the gospel. It wasn't vice versa. You know the Holy Spirit, you know what, what the Holy Spirit could have done? He could make the people understand the Hebrew language. You know what I mean? Like the Holy Spirit can. If somebody that never spoke English walks into this church and all of a sudden I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit is able to, to help them listen the gospel in English. But instead, the apostles were speaking the language of the people. So the church, it was not built to convince other people to listen to her languages. The church is called to speak the language of the people. He actually wants us to speak the language of the people in our community so they can hear the gospel, not vice versa. They should not be forced to assimilate to our culture. Brother, we should be in their culture for the sake of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I know you're probably way more biblical than me, but that freaked me out when I found out. Isn't that crazy that God made his church to speak the language of the people instead of forcing the people to understand the language of the church? So, if the Spirit did not simply enable the outsiders to understand the language of the church, the Spirit enabled the church to speak the language of everyone else. The Spirit comes to and empowers the church to lead people to Christ, not to its own way of doing things. In other words, everything else, even language, get out of the way for the sake of Christ. And this is God's promise and a picture, by the way. It's not just a day to celebrate Pentecost. It's a picture in God's promise how God wants to build his church. The way God wants to build his churches, he wants to lead us to this level of humility that we are willing to speak the language of the people. How many of you heard, never, never heard the word narthex? You're not going to be judged. Y'all, don't worry about it. The fear on you. Have you heard? Can you please help me? If somebody want to raise your hands, if you never heard the word narthex before. Never, yeah. I'm sure there's like, I'm on. So that place right here, that the one that, you know, where the coffee hour is, we call that Nortex. It's a traditional church language. I grew up in the church, so I know what the word Nortex is. Everyone that comes to visit our church, they'll be like, what the heck is Nortex? People think it's the name of a missile or something. Even things like that, they're small, but they could be adapted into a different language for the sake of the people who are walking to our doors. And so in all this, how do we do this practically, right? Like, so I'm, I want to leave us with this particular things, how we can grow in this particularly. First and foremost, let's hold on to the Word of God and the values of God. Let's separate the value of men from the value of God. Let's hold on to the Word of God as the only true and infallible Word of God. Second, let's desire to be with each other and to commune together 
and to experience the true love of God. I know this world we live in now, you work like 9 to 5, you want to get at 6 p.m., eat your dinner, and I'm sure you have like a show that you're watching on all the things, Apple. I just found out Apple that got a thing, their own like Netflix thing going on in there. Everybody has their own show. Sometimes we spend three hours watching a show or two and a half hours watching a show every single night, every week, instead of being with people. Our culture is getting closer and closer to actually desire to be apart from people. But the people of God are called to be with each other. So let's hold the value of God, not value of man, but also really, really let's desire to spend time with people, to be with others, to listen, to mourn, and to rejoice. Be with each other not only in that in in an intentional way, but let us rethink our language, anything that we say. Things like grace, righteousness, sanctification, they're like a very foreign language to a lot of people that can walk into our church. So let's just think critically every step of the way to say, how can I communicate the work of God and the love of God to others in a way that they can understand? But here's what else we can do. We can also commit to be cultural. I'm not saying cultural, we agree with what the world is doing. But we can look into the things that are in the world that could be redeemed for the glory of God. Amen? There's so many things that the world could do. Our, musician, our musical scales, our screens may not be at its best, but they were not here 60 years ago. The technology that is in place in our church or around the other churches may not be there, but if it brings glory to God, there's no reason why it cannot be redeemed, right? A lot of our fights and disagreements in church is on silly things. When people are dying with depression, people are dying with addiction, people are breaking their marriages, children are being fallen apart from their families, and our church meetings are most of the time arguing about I don't like this camera, man. The camera is supposed to be right there. We shouldn't be, like even for me as a pastor, I should be submissive to you, to my church, to my people. If this camera is a big issue, man, I don't know, like build something in there. Get out of this meeting in half an hour because there's other people that need four hours of our time. I want to end with this. We here at Good Shepherd, if this is your first time, we come from a, a, a tradition called Lutheran. We are part of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. And there's a lot of conversation in what it means to be a really good Lutheran. Right? Some of you smile on this. There's a lot of discussion. But here's, here's, the, here's the, the history of the Lutheran Church. I'm not going to tell you the whole history. But in 1500s, the Lutheran Church was a source of a reformation. Reformation was a church proclaiming the faithful came together saying, salvation is only by Christ alone. And information can only come from the word of God alone. And faith can only come by the gift of God alone. And when this movement started 500 plus years ago, here's what it did. Number one, it changed the printing world. The Lutheran church understood that if people print things and print it out and send it out to people, more people can hear the gospel. The Lutheran church number one emphasis was to actually jump into the printing press. What the world was doing, the church redeemed it. And the gospel exploded in Europe out of nowhere. And second thing the Lutheran church did, hey, look at your pews. You'll see hymnals. 
that we call them LSP hymnals. They're note organized music. Those notes, a lot of the songs, a lot of the music, were used to be sung at bars. The church noticed what people can sing and what people can enjoy and wrote hymns that resemble to the people in their community who sing at bars. And when people came from their alcoholic addiction and their depression and they walk into the church, they were able to sing the songs that they know how to sing in bars. Now all of a sudden they're filled with the word of God and God's salvation and promise. So the church is at it is worst when we behave like this. And when we say to somebody, unless you're one of us or you act like us, you can't be part of us. That's when the church is at its worst. But here's when the church is at its best. When it says to the community or to those who do not believe, here's the promise that we can say. Hey, I will be biblical. I will be intelligible. I will be flexible. I will be hospitable. I will be cultural. But I will also be principled. The culture of the church can always change. The principles of the church cannot change. And here is the principle of the church that saved you and I. God, because you're not able to save your own self, killed his own son in the cross. Because he rose from the dead, you and I are able to be saved. When we die and when we face the gates of death, we are not going to walk in that holding our own accounts. We're not going to face God saying, I think I was a good guy. I think I was a good gal. I did this. No, no, that's, God did not let us walk death that way. Rather, he sent us with Christ. The most scariest thing for humanity is death. But Jesus promised he will hold your hands and he will walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will face your Savior, but you will have a confidence in the work of Christ, not in your own works. That's how we are saved. That's the principle of the church that cannot change. But all things can change. So, as your pastor, please help me. If I am on the way, in the way of God's mission, yell at us, stop us, and we'll do the same. We'll do that with each other. And when people walk in from our community to be part of our ministry, they will know that we are biblical, we are practical, we're very cultural, and we're very principled, but we're also flexible for the sake of the gospel. Hey, our school here is a charter school. It's about to welcome about 120 students in about two weeks now. And a lot of the community members will come. Pastor Josh and I and the rest of our team will engage this community of Muslim, Buddhist, uh, from Sheikh background, people from all around the world will walk in our campus this year. And every single day we will spend intentional time to reach out to them for the sake of Christ. And our agenda is not to implode the finance of the church. Many of them have nothing to give. But Christ has a lot to give to them. And we as a church, we will be flexible. We'll be intellectual. We'll be very practical. We'll be cultural. But we will also be humble. We will love. And we're not going to impose our culture on people. Rather, we will introduce them to Christ, our Savior, the Redeemer, in the name of Christ. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.